Hello and welcome to the Learning From Legend show with me, Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us. And today I get to learn about something that is going to be huge with a capital H in business, in our life and the stock market. And it's called artificial intelligence. Now, hang on, don't get bored. This is going to be a really interesting and critically important interview. I've become more interested in artificial intelligence because I've bought into the local stock Appen. Now, it was $43 at its peak. It's fallen down to about $10, I think, when I bought into it. And um, I just thought this is a company of the future. And I, I realized when I started investigating, it's a company you know, working in the artificial intelligence space. And so I thought I'd talk to a guy I know very well who is an AI expert when it comes to business and artificial intelligence generally. His father was a professor of artificial intelligence in the US, and his name is Matthew Mikhailovich, and he um, he makes AI very, very interesting. So if you want to be rich, and I think it's a pretty good thing to desire you know, in the absence of other better things, so if you desire to be rich in the future, listen to my chat with Matthew Mikhailovich. Matt, thanks for coming on the program. My absolute pleasure, Peter. Thanks for having me. Now, we, we talked uh, some months ago and we talked about, you know, we positioned you with your book, Life in Half a Second. Um, and for those people who've never come across Matthew Mikhailovich, unlucky as they are, tell us about the book just in a nutshell. I've been an entrepreneur all my life and I've collected uh, scientific studies around success and life in half a second is a summary of the five primary drivers of success that are proven through research that you can point to and read. And it's a summation of things that people can do, whether in business, sports or their personal life to improve the probability of success in their endeavors. Yeah. And those five things in a nutshell again are... The first is to have a clear goal, something that you can work towards. The second is to align your goal to desire, to your intrinsic motivations and uh, and, and uh, ambitions. The third is to have belief in the goal. So there's plenty of research to suggest we don't achieve things we don't believe that we can achieve. The fourth is knowledge. Uh, knowledge is a, a deterrent for many people. They don't know how to achieve their goals and they stumble along the way. And the last is action, to take systematic daily action towards the goals that you've defined. Mm. One of my favorite quotes comes from Muhammad Ali, and I, I'm sure you come across it. It goes, um, the repetition of affirmations leads to self-belief. When that belief becomes a deep conviction, things begin to happen. That's exactly what I thought about when I thought about those five factors. Yeah, that's a, that's a great quote. Very, very good. Mm. All right. So that's, Matt, and it, it, it can, apart from the fact that you, know, you, you have before you came to Australia listed a, a tech company on the NASDAQ, but it did kind of catapult you into fame on the speaking circuit in Australia. And some people, when they hear people trying to help people get successful, think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But as you point out, you, know, you took a scientific approach to trying to find those factors, not only to help yourself, but help other people as well. And, and, and people have loved the book and people have loved the stuff you talk about. But deep down, there is something very Shall I use the word scientific? You might catch me out on that, but you certainly are a technical kind of guy. And your latest book is called The, the Rise, Rise of Artificial Intelligence. 
Yeah. All right. Now, so tell us why you wrote the book first up. Yeah, so I've been in artificial intelligence all my life because my father has been an AI scientist uh, all his working life. So since I was six years old, I spent my childhood in universities listening to lectures on neural networks and machine learning and Turing tests and so on. So having been around that all my life, I guess it was inevitable or you know, uh, probable that I would go into business in that direction. And uh, for the last 22 years, I've been an entrepreneur running software companies that use artificial intelligence to improve decision making. And this book is uh, really how the field looks today, what AI is and isn't, where it's going, uh, and most importantly, what it means for business managers, the so what question. There's a lot of hype and and uh, uh, talk around artificial intelligence about well, really what does it mean for business people and what's the relevance and why should they should be paying attention. Yeah, and I, th I think when people hear words like artificial intelligence, they say, oh, yeah, that's stuff for, for scientific type people but not for, for normal people. Um, it's for big business, not medium or small business. And I, and I guess I want to flush, you know, flush all this out with you um, because, you know, you're not a scientist really, are you? You had more like a, a business a background at university, but of course, as you say, okay. you know, probably your parents even raised you on artificial intelligence, you know, um, and that's why you, you turned out to be such a perfect human being. <laughs> I'll have to record this and put this on my LinkedIn profile as, uh, as the ultimate endorsement, Peter. But I think uh, the upbringing that I had led me to think in an evidence-based way. So even that last book, you know, Life and Half a Second Around Success, it's an approach from an evidence-based scientific point of view. So even though I'm not a scientist, I have a degree in corporate finance, I think about things from a data perspective, from an evidence perspective, uh, uh, rather than just uh, hype or uh, or misconception. Mm, okay. I, I want to talk about the business that you've created, which in the not-too-distant future, we'll be floating, correct? Correct, okay. yes. Okay, so we'll, we'll end up on that. So for, for all those people out there who love to make money, I'll keep them you know, dramatically on a, on a string waiting for the, the, the name of the company and what it's going to do and when it will list and all that sort of stuff. But it, it does actually, well, I want to do beforehand, is you know, establish your credentials around artificial intelligence. And anything I know about artificial intelligence has been pretty well inspired by our conversations over the years and whatever. How long has artificial intelligence actually been around and being used by governments and big business? Uh, it's actually a very old field, so more than 70 years old. So it uh, you know, predates uh, most of us. And it is an attempt to replicate really the human body, the human experience. And the field is broken into four areas. And each area has had application areas for decades, uses in, in, uh, in business and in government. The first area is robotics, the attempt to replicate replicate mechanical movement. The second area is computer vision, which is the attempt to replicate the visual system of the human body, image recognition, and so on. The third is communication or natural language processing, Siri, Alexa, Google Home. That's mm. a, a big branch of AI. Yeah. And the last is cognitive systems or cognitive computing, which is an attempt to replicate certain brain functions like 
inference, deduction, decision-making, and so on. So if you think of these four very big fields, you can, like you you probably have an iPhone, Peter, you use Siri. I know many listeners will have engaged with natural language processing devices. Uh, if you go on Facebook or any of the uh, big social media sites, they'll use vision recognition uh, uh, algorithms to recognize people's faces, or even the iPhone does that. Robotics has been around for decades, and cognitive algorithms have also sat behind the scenes for you know since the 80s in systems and and in government, if if not the 70s. So what's changed is it's it's really become popular recently, but it's been around for a long, long time. It's funny, you know, um, when you were in the USA as a young man, and I was. In, in Australia as a young man, this might be a, a stretch because there are a few years difference between you and me, but there was a uh, a television show called, was it Lost in Space? Lost in Space. And the robot there used to talk to the, the bad scientists who had been lost in space. It was Gilligan's Island basically in space. Yes. People who used to watch that might have forgotten that the father in that, I think the name might have been Robinson's as well when I think about it, the father was actually the guy who played Zorro in the great television series of the same name, which always was a credibility problem for me because I love Zorro. How he ended up as a father in the Robinson's on Lost in Space was beyond (laughs) me. I couldn't take it. But that robot was talking to the – and and the robot could really have a conversation with the bad – uh, professor who was, you know, always plotting against the family. That was artificial intelligence, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's the ultimate goal of artificial intelligence is to really replicate uh, a structure that you can interact with that you wouldn't be able to tell that it's not a human. That's the, even the essence of the Turing test that you're engaging in dialogue with a computer and you can't tell the difference between that dialogue and conversation and a real human being. Mm. This is the ultimate goal. And, uh, and I think we're some ways from that. Yeah. So, uh, so let's start with that then. And, I, and I, I kind of presume that that's just like the entertaining aspect of artificial intelligence. But there would have been, I guess, the CIA would have had an interest in artificial intelligence. So I would have thought, you know, the, the big corporations of the world trying to work out everything they can to, to maximize the success in a competitive world, they would have been using AI for a long time. Is that true? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I think there's a, a point that uh, uh, comes from what you've just said. Usually advanced technology, uh, things like artificial intelligence and the like, emerge in military uh, um, divisions of government. And there's a number of reasons for that. The military uh, arguably has the most advanced technology in the world today. They print their own money. It's classified. We won't even know about it until sometime in the future. And once it it, it moves into the mainstream, into, into business, uh, there's usually a very natural uh, progression of how this technology filters into the general market. It first starts with at the very big end of town with very big companies. And it starts with financial services first. You know, they, they mm. print their own money as well. And from uh, banking, uh, insurance, it moves into telcos, big retailers and so forth. And it keeps moving through these industries until it finally ends up in distribution, wholesaling, you know, manufacturing, and it moves across the industries and down in size at the same time. That's how technology moves or is adopted uh, in uh, in the business marketplace. What's changed uh, 
over the decades past is the speed of adoption is faster than it is before. Technology moves through uh, through the markets uh, faster, but the curve and the way it moves has remained unchanged. It's it's a uh, it's very and the reason it makes perfect sense. All the money is in government, then it's in financial services, so it's progressing where the resources are, and companies that are big have more resources than companies that are small. So it's a natural progression of how technology unfolds in the marketplace. I want to come back to that because I think that's going to be a really important part of this interview is to understand how the, how artificial intelligence and all the robotics and all the things that you talked about will actually filter down to medium and smaller size businesses and how long how long you think it might take. But I want to get, before I go back to the, to that, I just want to, as I was listening to you, it reminded me of a course I did at University of New South Wales many years ago, and it was a great course. It was actually about the role of <clears throat> science in uh, economies and economic history. And uh, the point that um, the, the lecturer, who was a guy called Ian Inkster, who was a guy who came up with the idea of the multifunction polis in, oh. South, in South Australia, which never really got off the ground, but was a great idea. Um, but you know, I'm sure you would have come across the, the multifunction polis um, suggestion or innovation that was suggested at the time. But Ian made the point that so many of these great earth-shattering scientific and technological um, uh, creations actually started in sci-fi. That and mm. a lot of the sci-fi writers are in fact probably second-rate scientists, but were so preoccupied with what is possible, they then wrote about it, and then real-life scientists made it happen. Is that pretty well true? I, I think so, uh, absolutely. And one of the best examples of that is Star Trek. So if you look at uh, Gene Roddenberry and how he wrote uh, Star Trek and the things that were in it in the 60s, uh, antimatter uh, used for propulsion, whether it was neutrino particles, whether it was even the uh, mobile phones, you know, they were on another planet and they could talk to one another or the tricorders where they scanned the body and said what was on. All of these things are scientifically possible, and even from a physics point of view, they're possible wormholes and and so on. So I, I really enjoyed science fiction that has been based on the edge of science rather than completely fabricated realities and and, and physics uh, fabrications as well. Mm. So we, in many ways, the world has caught up to what Star Trek first displayed in the 60s and 70s. Okay, let's go back to that issue that. AI and all its associated offerings, you know, will eventually work right through all, all sizes of business. And probably a good way of uh, explaining that, because I think people can get their heads around why big businesses might be using artificial intelligence. And one of my favorite ones from my area of expertise, and I, I know I, I share the book with you, um, Principles by Ray Dalio. Now, Ray is one of the, the, the biggest and best hedge fund managers in the world who's was always able to, you know, use his brain, his fantastically smart team of, of uh, egghead academic type people to, to try and work out what's going to happen to a market. And he just quite frankly says, brains just can't compete with what you can get out of mass computers to handle big data to come up with all the possibilities that I need to consider when I'm placing billions of dollars of bets on gold or or um, ETFs or whatever it might be. He said yeah. he does it better because of artificial intelligence. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. So that, that but you can understand that. But you first explained to me how this could be applicable to lots of businesses when you started to describe to me 
what your new business, which your ultimate is going to float, how, how it started, what you – the first customers – I think one of the first customers you talked about, I think was the – was it the South Australian Police Force or or, or yeah. a PDS, one of the, the um, yeah. suppliers of, of food? Can you talk us through that story when you first started this business and what you tried to do? It just seems so logical that businesses would like it. Yeah, the uh, general philosophy we have, and, and there's two points that you've made, and I'll, I'll address both of them. Uh, I always view artificial intelligence, and I make an analogy uh, to any technology that it will be commoditized over time. It will become more accessible, will filter down in the marketplace, and sooner or later, everyone will have, have it. And the analogies for that is look at the calculator, uh, Peter. When the calculator came out, whenever that was 60 years ago, seven years ago, it was prohibitively expensive, yeah. 10000 20000 for a calculator. And if you had a calculator, you had a competitive advantage. You could do calculations <laughs> faster. Then everyone had a calculator. And then the computer came about. And the computer was prohibitively expensive. But if you had one, you had a competitive And so on and so on, spreadsheets, et cetera. AI is the latest calculator, the latest computer, the latest spreadsheet. It can calculate just like your uh, comment about Ray Dalio from principles, it can make those calculations faster, look at the probabilities, analyze scenarios, recommend courses of action better than anything before. And today it's still expensive, not as expensive as it was 20 or 30 years ago, but it's still expensive. And hence those that buy it usually come out with a competitive advantage versus those that can't afford it at the moment. But over time, it'll be like a calculator. Everyone will have it. And it, and it, uh, We'll go into every area of business and in many ways, many areas of our life as well, because when you're able to calculate the probabilities and different scenarios and different outcomes and recommend courses of action, what that leads to is improved decision making. And, and, and if you think about business, Peter, even life. The quality of our future is often defined by the quality of decisions we make Spot today. On. So, yep. right, whether they're investment decisions, which you're an expert on, whether whether uh, career decisions, uh, relationship decisions, these decisions we make uh, impact the quality we experience in the future. And so, in business, the same principle applies. The quality of a business's future depends on the quality of decisions that that business is making today, that its employees are making today. And the world has become so complex and so noisy and dynamic and uh, and fast, for lack of a better word, that you really need some kind of more sophisticated technology to interpret all of this and help these companies and people make better decisions. And and one of the first customers of, of uh, the company, which you will reveal, I almost said the name but no they, you can say it now i think we'll give them a, a, a snake yeah. it's a great the, the, name the, the name of the company is complexica and our first uh, or one of the first customers was a business called pfd which is about a two billion dollar company in uh, australia that distributes food products yeah, to we, cafes to yeah, we see their trucks cafes. everywhere pfd everywhere yeah. a white truck with the with the red logo uh, it's one of my favorite companies but think about all the decisions that they need to make every day how much stock to order uh, what kind of products to offer to customers, how to price those products, where to send their salespeople, uh, website decisions when people come to the website to order, what should be offered, how they should be bundled, continuously thousands of daily decisions. And if you could just improve these decisions every day, you can really improve the outcomes that these businesses achieve. So I'm a big believer that in the future, everyone will have it and AI won't be the exciting technology is that it is today will be a boring technology. It'll be something that uh, still be something new, and it will pervade every element of our life and business as well, Peter. Yeah, 
Okay, so when you uh, when you started to work with PDF, what was PFD. Huh? PDS PFD? There was there a there, there, there actually was a PDF. Um, I'm sure. No, maybe I'm wrong. That, no, no, no. You're you're uh, you're right. And PDF is the Adobe program uh, for yeah. adopt. No, but I also think before PDF, <laughs> when before you were born, there was a PDF. <laughs> Uh, health store. Maybe I'm. I'll check that one out. I'll I'll, I'll put that to to side just in case I'm I am being caught in a technological time warp. All right. So, but when you when you first pitched to them what your artificial intelligence program could do, see, you've been talking to a normal person here, wouldn't you? A normal person. Yeah, <laughs> it could it could have been the the CEO or COO, or it could have been someone's making big decisions. Yeah. Uh, it could have been just the guy who had to make all those decisions about ordering and whatever. How did you pitch it to him or her so they could get yeah. the potential of what you're offering? I, I think the pitch is quite simple. In whether it's a PFD or any company, you usually can uh, identify a commercial opportunity that they're not realizing at the moment. That might be improved margin, improved revenue, revenue growth, mark, whatever that yeah. tangible business KPI is. And then the, the next thing that you can say is, why aren't we capturing this uh, improvement in our performance at the moment? And the reason might be is, oh God, you know, we have 100,000 customers, we have 100,000 products, we have millions of pricing files, uh, we have 70 warehouses, 1,000 trucks, there's all of these moving pieces, and there's, mm. there's really no brain in our company capable of computing all of this in real time to inform us what these decisions should be to achieve the commercial outcome. And then the final part of the pitch is, well, here's an engine that's capable of making those calculations 24-7, 365, so that you can capture the commercial uh, value that isn't being realized at the moment. So I think, I think all of these conversations should start with the business outcome that you're achieving, then talk about the business problem that is preventing the outcome, and lastly, the solution that's going to solve the problem. Okay, so listening to that, because I'm a person who does think in pictures, I'm thinking of it like a, a really big machine with a spout at the top, and and so they can they can just pour they can pour all this information about this business from everything from trucks to drivers to to uh, stuff to buy and stuff to sell and just throw it all in and when it, you put it in there they crank it up and then they, they AOS is a really complicated machine. They have a little um, uh, place where they can type a, a request and say, how can I make sure I'm getting the best out of all my trucks? And by posing that question, are you saying that potentially an AI program could probably answer that question for them? Yes. So, so the analogy that you've given in terms of a big machine and you crank, that, that's a nice way of describing, you know, Amazon Web Services, the AWS environment. It sits in the cloud. There's lots of uh, heavy duty servers that it's, it's uh, using for computational power. It's plugged into a variety of data sources. Mm. The data that comes from a company, external data, weather might impact what happens tomorrow. It might be a census data, whatever the case might be. And it's constantly calculating. And instead of asking it, 
it just tells the people that are making these decisions what the recommended course of action okay. is. So think, think of that. You know what a, a analogy I love using? Have you ever seen in uh, whether it's in politics or, or you know, in really big business, how these uh, politicians or, uh, or executives, they have an assistant and the assistant is almost like a data analyst. They're like analyzing everything that's mm. happening in and giving them suggestions for the meeting and so forth. This is, you know, imagine a digital analyst like that. Imagine everyone in a company having their own analyst, their own assistant yeah. that's calculating uh, and evaluating everything that's happening and then feeding them recommendations when they need it. Mm. I think that's the future and it makes perfect sense. And there's no technological hindrance in achieving that. Wouldn't it be great on all of our phones, Peter? We all have a digital assistant, digital analyst that really analyzes everything that's happening and gives us recommendations yeah. on courses of action it's funny as i was listening to you i, I was thinking about um when i was a young man in, in the newspapers they used to have a, a mr magic um computer selection for racehorses and and i was also i've interviewed tom waterhouse recently he talked about how his father was and, and they actually have a tipping service now now in the old days his father robbie waterhouse famous robbie waterhouse would have done all that calculation in his head, in a sense. He would have written things down, you know, like the form of the horse, whether it goes, can win on the mud, the quality of the jockey. And he would try, in his head, try to put it all together and rank the horses from top to bottom who's likely to win. But gee, a computer could do that miles better than any individual could even come close to because there's so many variables out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You need to. You know, look at the famous movie Rain Man with uh, Dustin Hoffman and, yeah. and, and Tom Cruise. You know, it's uh, some people through abnormalities in the brain can make these incredible calculations that are very difficult, like, you know, the, the counting cards and so forth. But most human brains can't. Mm. And that's why we use spreadsheets and calculators and, and different uh, um, computational devices to aid us. Yeah. Isn't it ridiculous that in a pathetic old age, those sorts of people were called Idiot savants, of course. Yeah, the, the the much better world we live in, and just call them savants. But yeah, in those days, yeah. if someone had, was not what you might call normal, but had this unbelievable skill, they were then tagged idiot savants. Like, what kind of world do yeah. we live in? But that's another side side issue. All right, so <laughs> sorry about my observations, but I always like to know that mankind has actually moved ahead. Um, let's let's now look at. Um, Complexica. So it's going to be a listed company when? Next year, mid next year is our target. Okay. And when you go to market, what are you going to tell the market Complexica does? It, it improves decision making within companies in really three key areas sales decisions, marketing decisions, and supply chain decisions. And in our experience, these are the areas where complexity resides, and better decisions create commercial outcomes in these areas. Okay. So at the moment, most of your customers would be big to big, medium sized companies, I presume. Yeah, the, the smallest customer in revenue we have is just under 100 million in annual revenue, all the way to uh, businesses like Medcash that are in tens of billions or the Pfizer's of the world and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a big range, but what they all have in common is some level of complexity within one or all of these areas that needs to be addressed with sophisticated algorithms, aka artificial intelligence, to achieve a commercial outcome. 
Mm. So um, how long do you think before Complexica is also dealing with uh, medium and smaller medium and then ultimately small business? Do you see that eventually happening over time? Yeah, definitely. I think it's inevitable. It will happen and and it won't just be Complexica. I think it will be lots of companies that Mm. uh, provide uh, software and technology to the middle markets and the and the uh, small end of town. How long? You know, those kind of predictions are difficult. But I think it will be another ten years before the really small end of town. You know, companies that are turning over a million dollars, half a million dollars, can really benefit in full from this kind of technology. And it's not like there'll be nothing and then there will be everything. It's a progressive process. More and more becomes available. Yeah. AI becomes embedded in you know Microsoft Office Suite and all of these products. And in ten years, the small more business without making any significant investment will have access and capability. Yeah, and, and I guess there'll be a lot of service providing businesses that may well be like, for example, a company like Zero or Elmo Software. They might be in um, bookkeeping and uh, HR, but over time they will see the a bit, the, the the good reason to add those AI-type functions to what they do as well, and they are catering for the smaller end of the market. Exactly. That's absolutely spot on. So if you think, I mean, zero is a good example. If you think about uh, it touches the epicenter of small business, which is financial records and transactions and so forth, Mm. there would be so many obvious places where uh, uh, some intelligence put into that application that can provide guidance, recommendations, advice, insights, etc., would be of enormous value. And and uh, and then you think about every company doing that over the next ten years, it, it it empowers small businesses with the technology. Yeah, and and I guess then the fact that there's a a potential d- demand from those sorts of companies to provide it to small businesses, then the 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 the, the technological research to try and you know, reduce the cost, as you pointed out, calculators were very expensive and all of a sudden calculators became cheaper. AI over time will become cheaper because something discovered for a big company eventually will be rolled out for a whole bunch of companies, economies of scale and so on and so forth. Exactly. When I, when I was uh, uh, graduating from the university in the mid to late 90s, a website for a big company might cost a million dollars to develop and it mm. was HTML uh, programmers and it was a big deal. Even when we were a startup and we got a basic website built, and <clears throat> this was the year 99, Peter, it cost us $100,000, USD, $100,000 to build. How much can you build a website for today? You could build one for $500 or 1000 Everything is commoditized. Everything becomes accessible. Mobile phones, remember when they were in a briefcase, they were mm. a brick that cost $10,000? Everyone has one now. And the famous quote is that the mobile phone today has more computing power than when NASA put the man on the moon, more computing power than all of NASA when they put the man on the moon in everyone's pocket um, around the world. So AI it will follow that trend because all technology follows that trend. Okay. Let's, uh, is there anything else you think we need to know about Complexica? No, I think you've you've covered it. It's software to improve decision-making and achieve commercial outcomes. I think one interesting side note, just to mention on AI, however, is there's an enormous amount of hype and an enormous amount of misinformed people because ultimately, you know, newspapers, whether they're digital or in print, uh, they'll sell more of them with stories like AI will automate half of jobs, AI will take over the world, AI will do this. That sells more newspapers rather than AI uh, might never happen or AI might happen in a hundred years, right? You're not going to, you're okay. not going to sell. 
a lot. So I, so I think that's just an interesting point that the reality of AI is a lot different to most people's perception from what they've read. Yeah, and you've, you've opened up a Pandora's box for the media. But when we open this box, is it as scary? Is AI as scary as the media portrays it in terms of they're going to take away all these jobs, everyone will be unemployed? Uh, first, I don't think AI is as scary as the media portrays it because I've lived inside of universities and, and kind of seen the state of the art of, of where it's at. And we're an enormously long way, Pete, an enormously long way from even beginning to approximate the human brain and it being a real concern. And in, and in terms of taking away jobs, or well, that is the fundamental goal of a corporation, of any capitalistic uh, market and corporations in particular, the directors have a fiduciary responsibility to increase the value of the enterprise, become more competitive, increase profits, increase market share and so forth. And hence, because of this nature of capitalism, they will always look to, for ways of automating jobs, becoming more efficient. And AI is just one of many, many technologies that will be considered from 3D printing to uh, machine data to all kinds of things. So I think AI has unfairly gotten a lot of of, uh, let's call it bad publicity for being this evil technology that's going to automate everyone's job away and everyone should be afraid of it, where we're automating jobs away without AI every day and have been for you know the many last decades past. It's just the nature of capitalism. Mm. I, I do think, that if I re recall, there was an economic theory that as technology improves, we actually will end up with um, more, more income and more leisure time and in that leisure, wow. in that, that leisure time, we all go to hotels and resorts and fly. Yeah, take the coronavirus out of the way. But in actual fact, the trade-off between how many hours we work and the lifestyle we lead could actually be enhanced by AI rather than um, disenhanced, if such a word exists. Uh, anything is possible in terms of the future and and how it unfolds. And I remember, I think it was in the. 50s when they talked about the 80s and the 80s we were supposed to work 20 hours a week or 10 hours a week and you know and every and uh, well, there'd be one day a week working and there'd be all this production that happens in automated ways through robotics and so yeah. so forth so uh, and and obviously none of that has really come to be other than quality of life and um, lifespans kind of extending so I think it comes down to government policies to how societies are structured a redistribution of wealth and 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 many complex issues like this that ultimately dictate the kind of lifestyle we'll enjoy as as, uh, as human beings. It, it you know, there's a reality that might be in the future that one percent of one percent of people own everything, and the other ninety nine percent are working for minimum wage for for that. Anything's possible. Yeah, and I've got a really good idea, Matt. We could use artificial intelligence to find out what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. <laughs> now, before we go, I, I can't help but ask this question because you are a, an AI expert and a company that um, um, I've liked ever since its share price fell. This company called Appen, um, mm -hmm. a company that did very well before the coronavirus and because of the coronavirus, a lot of the big companies that – it works with we're cutting costs and people weren't going to work, people working from home. So there's a thought that maybe the market has marked it down too heavily because of the short-term problems for the company. And we have also learned that some of the big companies might start trying to do some of the stuff that Apple used to do 
externally for them could be brought in-house. And if that's the case, uh, and when you and I were talking earlier, it had an exposure to a, a limited number of big companies. And yeah. my, my question to you is, if what you're saying is right, that AI will become more accessible to medium-sized businesses and then ultimately small businesses, a company like Ampen may well be able to grow their customer base over time and not be so dependent. Is that a fair possible call on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, Appen's a fantastic company, great business, and and they and they're one of Australia's great success stories. And they provide the service really to train artificial intelligence algorithms. One of the uh, shortcomings of AI today is is they require a lot of training, and and some of the more complex algorithms really require extensive uh, data and training. Um, processes, which Appen has been an instrumental uh, provider of. So given the extent of uh, algorithmic development and consumption by big companies, Appen has rode that wave because they've been providing the service to those businesses to, to train the algorithms and provide training data. Uh, the the weakness of the business is the huge concentration of their revenue in a very small number of uh, businesses. However, as the technology commoditizes, becomes more accessible for more businesses, it should open up uh, marketplace opportunities for them to uh, to diversify revenue streams through the same kind of uh, service. Mm. Well, this is no, in no way a financial advice or a, or a tip or whatever, but I certainly was a great opportunity to talk to an AI expert about a company that is in the AI space. Matthew Mikhailovich, just before we go, the name of that book one more time? The Rise of Artificial Intelligence. And now I tried to look it up on Google and you said there's a short-term problem with the way you find it. Like the hardest thing in the world is, is trying to spell Mikhailovich even pronounced as hard enough. <laughs> Try spelling it. Is the E before the W or the Z C or the Z? It's a tricky name, mate, to spell. I know, I know, I know. But it's not look a, easy. It's it's not as tricky as Schwarzenegger though. So it's <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not. So it's the rise of artificial intelligence by Matthew Mikhailovich. And mate, it's great to see you. Likewise, Peter. Thank you for having me. And that's Matthew Mikhailovich. And if you are interested in getting rich and artificial intelligence is going to be one way you can do it, you can also watch my TV shows, which come out on Monday and Thursday. Just go to YouTube and punch in Switzer Investing and you'll get there. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Quentin time! Quentin time! <laughs>